I find it so funny. You know, at 10 a.m. we'll walk out from... We, we pray, by the way, upstairs every Sunday morning at uh, 9.40. If any of you guys would ever like to join us to pray not only over the service, but over things that are going on in, in people's lives throughout the church, we meet up there. But when we walk out at 10 a.m. as the worship is starting, and there's like four people sitting in the, in the pews, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be an interesting day. And then by the end of worship, it's full. I just, I just find that humorous. Welcome to Southern California. This is how we roll, apparently. Yeah, so we do start at 10 a.m., just, you know, to remind you, or even before we, we get started with worship and stuff, you guys are welcome to show up earlier. Um, but I, I, admittedly, I set you up with this question this morning. I recognize that as you're trying to greet people, it's very difficult to kind of try to articulate your purpose in life in a couple of sentences to somebody, uh, but that was intentional today, because I want us to recognize, it's one of those things that we don't give a whole lot of thought about. Is it? I mean, what, what do you add? What, what actually makes the cut of the thing that you're living for and, and your purpose in life? And what do you cut out? Because there's so many things that compete for our attention, compete for our focus. And quite often, I think that we get so caught up in doing life and just running. We're like that proverbial hamster running on our wheel, doing, doing, doing. And at the end of the day, we kind of collapse into bed and we've been doing a whole lot of things, but it's kind of like, well, why? What have I been doing and what am I working towards and all of those kind of things? And I, I can't speak for you, but I think very, it's very easy to just go through the flow of a day without ever really giving a whole lot of thought to a, the grander picture of what am I doing this for? And some of you are tremendously intentional about making one-year plans, five-year plans, ten-year plans. I'm not all that great at that. That's not my strength. I'm much better at reacting to or responding to the needs in the moment. But the purpose of a purpose statement or a mission statement is that it gives you the ability to kind of step back and and intentionally say, what am I going to invest my time towards? The time that God has given me here on earth, what am I going to invest it towards? What do I feel burdened about? What are the things I'm passionate about? What do I have to do? Not because I want to, but because I have to do it. And if I don't do it, it'll feel like I've got eggs with no salt on it. It's just that seasoning of life. And so you have a purpose statement, perhaps, that you work on. And then it, the, the beauty of a purpose statement is it then becomes a lens or a filter through which you can look at everything in life, all of the to-dos, all of the things that you could throw yourself at, those of you who are looking to get into a career that have not yet, to look at potential careers and say, would this allow me the opportunity? Now, granted, that doesn't mean that we always do what we, you know, our, our purpose in life is. You know, Paul had... An, occupa- an occupation, he was a tent maker. That's how he paid the bills. But he also had a vocation, his calling. I'm ca- he felt called to, to share the gospel with the Gentiles. So our jobs don't always align with what we're called to do, but are we doing these things? And our purpose statement or vision statement enables us to kind of look at all of the possibilities and, and say, yes, this helps, or no, this doesn't. So in your outlines here, I have a a couple of key characteristics. This is pulled from a book written by Lori Beth Jones called The Path. It's a book that has greatly influenced my life. Um, And in this book, she guides you step by step in putting together a personal mission statement for your life. In it, she identifies three core characteristics of a good purpose statement. Number one, 
It's a single sentence long. We're not talking paragraphs long because here's the point. When you have long paragraphs, you can stuff everything into it. If if you're forced to focus it down to one sentence, you really need to spend some time considering what's the core issues. What are the one or two things that I'm going to be about? Number two, it needs to be understandable by a 12-year-old. This isn't, we're not talking huge language that you know, makes no sense to anybody else. Although it's mainly for yourself, if you're going to articulate it to someone, you really need to be, keep it simple, if you will. And then finally, you need to be able to memorize it to the point where if somebody were to put a gun to your head and say, what are you about? You'd be able to remember it. And that's just to say, do you have it? Is it in you? Do you remember it? Or is it something that you wrote down on a piece of paper years ago and you never look at it again? Because if you don't remember it, chances are it's not going to become much of a lens through which to look at things. You're not going to be thinking about it very often. So in here we have some historical purpose statements of people that have come before us. Abraham Lincoln's purpose statement probably would have been to preserve the union. And you notice how so many of the choices he made as a president were focused on preserving the union. Even if it wasn't necessarily palatable to the rest of of his political party, he made choices toward the end of preserving the union. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, to end depression. So many of his choices as a president, so many of the programs that he put together, whether we like them or not, were toward that end of ending the depression. Nelson Mandela's to end apartheid. I mean, here's a man who spends a good amount of his life in jail. And when he gets out and all of a sudden finds himself in a position of authority in his country, he could have used that position of authority to punish the men who had placed him in that jail cell. And yet he chose to forgive. He chose to look past that because his goal was to unify his country and to end the segregation, to end the animosity. And the only way he felt he could do that was to end it in his own heart. Mother Teresa, to show compassion and mercy to the dying, she, spent, she poured her life out to give dignity to those who had no dignity and to love on them as they were passing away. Nehemiah, here's a guy who was cupbearer to the king, but he recognized that his calling was to rebuild the, the walls of Jerusalem. And so he gave up a cushy job and he traveled through a lot of danger to rebuild the ruins of Jerusalem, enduring a whole lot of hardship. And he could face that hardship day in and day out because he recognized the major emphasis of what he was called to do, to rebuild those walls. And then finally, Jesus. This is the one that's pretty easy because he articulates it himself. He said, I didn't come, you know, to to take care of the healthy. It's the sick that need a doctor. I have come to seek and save the lost. That was what he was about, to seek and save the lost. And his life focused toward that end. Um, And we're grateful for that. Now, about 13 years ago, when I had graduated from college, I'd been working PR for the surfing industry, which was a fun job. I got to go to surf contests and then write about it. But I started feeling dissatisfied with life because I recognized I was watching all these surfers who were doing what they loved to do, whether they were paid for it or not. I went, well, I want to do that because at the end of the day, I don't care who won the latest surf contest. It just isn't something that makes me excited. And at that point, I kind of thought like, well, my vocation and my occupation need to be the same thing. I would never have even used that terminology. But As only a 22-year-old kid can do who doesn't have any responsibilities, I went, well, this isn't fulfilling me. I quit. 
And I quit without having a clue what I was going to do. And around that time, as God would have it, he brought this book, The Path, into my life. And so I, over the course of about a month, started wrestling with, what am I about? I I don't really care all that much about surfing, but what am I passionate about that I want to pour my life into? And I began to look at where I was spending my free time. And I found myself investing in other people and, and having lunches with people that were either A, pouring into me, or B, I was pouring into them and just kind of helping them process through life. And as I began to put together my own personal mission statement, which 13 years ago was this, I am called to inspire, encourage, and equip those who are hungry for maturity, those who want to grow, to pursue a more personal and transformational relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what I'm about. Now, 13 years later, as I look at that, I can, I can make it even more simple. I have been called, I have been designed to be a discipler. Thankfully, in my occupations of pastoring or teaching over at Vanguard, it gets me into proximity to people who are hungry to grow, and I go, okay, let's walk together, let's journey life together, and discipleship can take place. There's a lot of other responsibilities around there, but that, for me, is my vocational calling, discipleship. So you see, it has become a lens that helps me kind of navigate where am I going in life. And if, though, if there are some of you out there right now going, I just, I want to know God's will for me and I just kind of want to know where I'm headed, I would highly suggest you grab the path. If you feel like you couldn't possibly answer this question this morning because you've never really given it a whole lot of thought, you just react to life, that is a great place to start. Again, it's, it's written in your bulletin. It's The Path by Lori Beth Jones. But in the same way that individuals have purpose statements or can organizations have them as well. And you can learn a lot about an organization by looking at what they declare themselves to be about. Lighthouse, our church, has a purpose statement. And I'm curious if anybody other than Lee can actually articulate what that purpose statement is. Do any of you know what our vision or purpose statement is as a church? Yell it out! Excellent. So turn over your your bulletin because it's on the other side of it. There it is. But we as a church are called to love people. And I'm so proud of you, those of you who knew it. We are called to love people and lead them into a personal, passionate, and productive relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to spend the majority of our time exploring that. Because for those of you... Either maybe you've been coming here for a long time and you just kind of go, well, yeah, we, what, what do we do? We show up on Sundays, we sing some songs, we do worship, and then we go home. That's not all that we're about. And for those of you who are checking out Lighthouse, this is a perfect morning to be here because I just want to articulate to you what we as a church are about. So let's break this down. The first part of what we're about is to love people. Jesus Christ said that, speaking to his disciples, this is how the world will know that you're my disciples. By the way you what? By the way you love one another. The way that we interact, not only with our neighbors, not only in our community, but with one another. Personal, interpersonal dynamics and all that kind of stuff. That is a testimony. The way that we interact with our spouses, with our children, with one another, speaks volumes. And as a church, we are seeking to be intentional about cultivating relationships cultivating love in this church. I've had, I, I can't tell you the amount of people who have come in who have just been visiting. And I go, so how was church? And you go, man, I, f- I feel like when I walk in, I, I feel welcomed. I feel like it's home, that people are so welcoming and loving. And I love that. 
And I want you to know that there have been some intentional choices as a church that we have made to cultivate or nurture that. For instance, when you walk in, you have that table out there with name tags. Some of you walk right past it because you're like, I'm not going to do that. I didn't put mine on this morning. I didn't make it back there, unfortunately. I got here before they were out, and I've been up here. I'm sorry. (laughs) But the name tags are intentional. Because have you ever had one of those moments where you see somebody you've met four or five times, they've told you their name every time, Lee's going to go get me my name tag right now, so I'll stop being such a hypocrite. You know, so you, you see them, but you don't re- quite remember their name. And so you're like, hey, brother, you know, it's good to see you. And so part of the reason why we have those name tags is a way for us to remember one another's name. So that, you, you know, you, you're introducing your spouse to your friend and you don't remember your spouse's name. You can quick look over and go, hey, this is Kathy. I told her that joke last night. She didn't think it was any funny. So I appreciate you guys laughing. But there's another reason why we do the name tags, by the way, and that is if there are a few weeks those name tags aren't picked up, we have the ability to go, oh, you know what, have I seen this person? Now, sometimes it's because you guys just didn't grab it, but sometimes it's because there's been something going on in your life and we just didn't, we wouldn't have caught that. And so then we're able to, you know, Ken Edwards calls many of the people who haven't been here for three, four weeks in a row just kind of say, hey, how you doing? That is an aspect of caring for our community. Thanks, Sweet Pea. I appreciate it. You're welcome. (laughs) Another reason, another thing that we do intentionally is in every service on Sunday, we carve out some real estate, three to five minutes for us to stand up and greet one another and get to know we have a question of the day. Usually they're a lot simpler. But that's intentional. You know, I've been in churches where it's like, hey, greet somebody next to you as you sit down, and 10 seconds later, we're going on with the service. But we intentionally carve out some real uh, um, quality time, time that we could spend singing another song, time we could spend, you know, talking a little bit more. Lord knows, Lee and I could fill that space up. But that's intentional because we really believe that relationships are important, so we carve that time out. Furthermore, once a month, we're intentional about having a lunch for us to get together after the service. One of the things I love about being part of a small church is that we have the space, the margin, to be able to gather together after a service and just get to know one another better, to have deeper conversations than you can have on a Sunday morning in the service. And that next one is going to take place on the 26th. So I would encourage you strongly to stick around after service. There's a reason why we do that. There's a reason why we don't charge for that because we don't want there to be any impediments to you coming. So we invest finances towards making that possible for everybody to be a part of. And then one other thing that we do that's intentional, there's a lot of other ones, but one other thing we do is we have small groups that meet in people's homes throughout the week because we recognize that as small as we are as a church, it's still still possible for us to slip in and slip out of service and not really fully be known. But we have found that in small groups where we are praying together, where we're studying God's word and seeking God together, where we're spurring one another on, that's where real life transformation takes place. That's where real accountability begins to percolate. I found that in my own life. And for those of you who are not currently in a small group, you're probably missing out on the best thing that we have as a church. I would strongly encourage you to check that out. And there is, I didn't bring it up with me, but there's a bulletin in the back that says small groups. And there's just a list of them that meet throughout the week on almost every night of the week. And if you're not in one, I encourage you to get in one. This is the perfect time to do it. Jump in at the beginning of the year. So those are some of the things that we do as a church to intentionally cultivate that first part of our vision statement, to love one another. And I would say 
from my experience, we actually do a really good job. You guys are amazingly loving. There have been seasons in, in my life, and I can speak for a lot of people who, you know, who have also experienced this, when something goes on in your life, when one of my kids gets sick, when we have a miscarriage, when my, my son is born prematurely, and we're just, our worlds are spinning, we have felt so loved and cared for by our community, by our family here. You guys have come around us and taken care of us. I am so grateful for that. And I know it's not just because I'm a pastor, because you're doing it for one another. And I'm constantly hearing, hey, you need to be praying for because we just need to support them. And is there any way that we can financially support them? Yes, we can. We have a fund for that for people within our church. We are about loving one another and walking with one another. But that is not the sum total of what we are about as a church. Because again, our vision statement is to love people and lead them into a more personal, passionate, and productive relationship with Jesus. And I will have the audacity, and I'm unapologetic about this. As a pastor of this church, I'm unapologetically going to declare that the second part of our purpose statement is far more important than the first part of our purpose statement. Yes, it's important to love one another. But if that is not what all we're about, because honestly, you can find a relationship, loving relationships in a book club. You can find loving relationships you know, in a basketball league or playing fantasy football, although the love is going to be shown through trash talk. The thing that makes Lighthouse, the, the reason why we gather on Sunday mornings, the reason why we gather in our communities throughout the week is because we are unapologetically about leading one another, about nurturing our relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the most important thing that we're about. Not learning more about Jesus getting to know Jesus. And we use these three words, personal, passionate, and productive. Those aren't arbitrary terms that we've just kind of come up to make the sentence a little bit longer and more flowery. Those are intentional words. We want it to be more personal, that we're not just simply learning more things about Jesus Christ. That's really easy to do. But that we are actually getting to know the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus, in, in John chapter 10, says, I am the true shepherd, And my sheep, they know my voice. They recognize it and they follow me. My ardent desire is that you would learn to recognize your shepherd's voice. You would recognize when he is saying, hey, don't walk down that path. You know what's down that path. Follow me in this. Trust me. I know it's scary, but just try this. Humble yourself and and, and apologize to your wife. I know that you feel like you're in the right. Humble yourself. You make the first move. And that we would be obedient in that. Because it's not enough to know more about him. There's a lot of people, the Pharisees knew a lot about their God. But in the process of learning about him, they actually missed his heart altogether and they focused on the rules, on the externals. And they miss relationship. And I don't want to do that. Passion, so personal, that you would know him, not just know about him. Passionate, that you would love him and fall in love with him so much that you'd be willing to order your life around him. I remember when I was first dating Kathy and I started to really fall in love with that girl. Man, I made made radical changes. I sacrificed time to stay up late at night to have conversations on the phone with her. I sacrificed money both in gas to drive down to wherever the heck she was. She would live like half an hour away. I was driving. It was worth it. She was worth it. 
I sacrificed money to take her out to places so we would have fun to get to know her, to cultivate that relationship. I went out of my way. But I found in my own marriage, 10 years in now to marriage, it can be sometimes it's easy, especially with little kids, to just kind of put it on autopilot. The passion kind of starts to dissipate as you just have responsibility after responsibility. You start taking that person that you've covenanted to, you start taking them for granted. The date night starts slipping. And just as much as we need to be intentional about cultivating our relationship with our spouses, we sometimes in our relationship with God can start taking Him for granted. We start only going to Him when you know, the wheels are coming off or we feel like we've reached the end of our own abilities. So my, my heart, our desire is that we as a church could help nurture the passion in, in, in your love for Jesus Christ. And sometimes that's just learning, you know, walking with other people who are hurting or, or as you're going through your own stuff. But that your relationship with him would be one described by uh, an excitement, an expectancy that God is going to show up. And then finally, that it would be productive. Paul points out that there's fruit that the Spirit produces in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These kind of things that we look at and go, as God is working in our lives, as he begins to kind of stir things up and, and, and the Holy Spirit is beginning to have a way, it will naturally produce this fruit. This isn't something that we just kind of grit and, and, and produce on our own. It's not like a lemon tree can, you know, just forcibly pop out a lemon. It happens naturally as it's being nourished by the soil, as the sun is, is beaming down on it and causing, causing the photosynthesis within it to, to work. As the tree is being nourished from the outside and watered, it naturally produces fruit. As we, you know, and I think of Jesus in, in John 15, I am the vine, you are a branch. If you abide in me and I in you, then you're going to bear fruit, fruit that will last. But apart from me, you can accomplish what? Nothing. Nothing of any lasting value or gain. Nothing of any eternal value. So our hope as a church is that we would be a church that nurtures, that engenders a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just learning about him, but knowing him personally in a personal, passionate, and productive way. But I will be the first one to say that desires, intentionality... And results are not always the same. And I will speak personally for myself. I recognize in my own life how easy it is at times to do lots of things in the name of Jesus, to run towards him. I won't even say that. To do things for him, but not actually know him. I feel like sometimes I'm a lot like Martha. You know, you know the story, but let's turn there anyway because it's a, it's a good reminder. Turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 10. Jesus is traveling around from town to town, healing people, teaching. And they would often just be brought into somebody's home. And in this particular town, a town called Bethany, there's a woman named Martha who has the spiritual gift of hospitality. She opens her home up to Jesus and his disciples And in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we'll pick up the story. 
As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So Martha's in back kind of doing all the preparation. Mary's sitting here at Jesus' feet in the position that a, a disciple would actually take. Because when a rabbi was there, he would sit in a chair and he would teach and the disciples would kind of array themselves around the rabbi's feet and just listen and talk and ask questions. It would be a dialogue. And so here's Mary, who, who Martha feels should he be in back helping her get ready to kind of wait on Jesus. And instead, she's taking a position of a disciple listening and learning. Well, Martha doesn't feel so happy about that. So Martha who was distracted by all the preparation was being made, she came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. She's being so thoughtless. She's not being hospitable. And I resent the fact that I have to do this by myself. I know none of us have ever felt that way, ever. Jesus responded, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. In fact, only one thing is truly necessary. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Mary has recognized that relationship with me is even more important than serving me, that she's, you know, service needs to happen, and that will take place. But she recognizes that being with me, knowing me, is more important. Jesus, in another part, in his Sermon on the Mount, and you don't have to turn here, but this is one that I just kind of threw in this morning because it really kind of hit me between the eyes. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is making the distinction between false disciples and true disciples. And he says this in in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, on the day of judgment, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Didn't we serve you in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And I hear that and I feel convicted because I, like Martha, so often get fixated on doing things in Jesus' name in running here and there and serving. And oftentimes, in the act of serving, I forget to cultivate my own relationship with him. I become dry. I'm serving out of the dregs of what I've got. I try to love people. I don't want to. I have resentment in the back of my heart towards the people in my home that I have to to serve right now. I don't want to do this. I want to be able to relax but I'm going to do it, doggone it, because I'm a good Christian guy. Not exactly the heartbeat of somebody who is overflowing with an intimacy of, with Christ. If we're not cultivating our relationship with Jesus, then it's very easy at times for us to serve out of the dregs. And I desperately, desperately don't want us to go through life calling ourselves Christ followers, but in reality not following him at all doing things in his name, but not actually knowing him. Saying, I am part of his flock, but not actually recognizing his voice. You know, some of you guys know that I was a a lifeguard for like 11 years down in Newport Beach. And on my breaks down there, and I've shared this before with you, 
But on my breaks, I, I, at times, because I was trying to lose weight, I would, I would either go running between the towers or sometimes I would swim between the piers as far as I could. Well, the thing about swimming, and, and Dee might not know this because he swims in a little pool that just kind of keeps pushing him, but in the ocean... You don't swim straight because you've got the water. I love you. Please don't hurt me. You've got, the, you got the, the waves kind of ebbing and flowing, pushing and pulling. And so as much as you want to swim straight, I would, I would put my head down and I would swim as hard as I could, but I had these waves pushing me and then pulling me and pushing me and pulling me. And what would happen is I would be swimming as hard as I could and I would start slowly to either bend in towards the beach or out towards the ocean. And there were times where I'd put my head up and I would realize I had been swimming with all of my energy in a total wrong direction. Swimming straight into shore and I was about to crash into some surfer or straight out to sea and I was like, I can hardly even see the ground right, or the land right now. It was, and, and sometimes that feels like my own life, my own relationship with Jesus. Sometimes it feels like I am striving with all of my energy to do good things, to be a good man, to be a good husband, to be a good father, to be a good, you know, pastor, you know, to do well in my employment. And all of the myriad responsibilities of the day, and I rush at them, and then I fall into bed at night. And I recognize that I've done all of these things in Jesus' name, but I've spent almost zero time actually connecting with Him. It's almost like the only time I go to prayer is when the wheels have come off. There's a, this quote by Corey Tendum that's just been wrecking me lately. She said, is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? Do you pray because you want God to actually steer and direct and guide your life or do you pray simply when the wheels have come off and you just need some help? You've driven into a ditch and now you desperately need some help. So, okay, let's call AAA. Jesus, are you there? And I will confess that all too often, prayer is my spare tire. Another quote that's been wrecking me lately is one by Oswald Chambers, and I'm going to paraphrase it here. One of my very favorite devotionals, if you're looking for something to do this year as a devotional, my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers is unparalleled. It's a phenomenal daily devotional. Um, and one of the quotes that's been wrecking me lately, he said, you know, when we focus on action and forget about prayer, forget about our connection with Jesus, it's very easy for us to succeed in the external all the while failing in the eternal. We can, we can have external success. People look at us and go, man, what a, what a generous person, what a righteous man, what a good person, what a great pastor, what a a phenomenal father, what a good husband. You know, he posts all these nice things he does for his wife on Facebook. He must be a good man because everything we post on Facebook is the sum total of who we are, right? At the same time, we can be failing in the eternal because remember what Jesus said in John 15, if you abide in me, then you'll bear much fruit. But apart from you can accomplish nothing of any lasting value. And far too often I'm focused on doing all these things by my own strength and I haven't cultivated that relationship. My actions are not coming out of the overflow. It's out of the dregs. And I am serving people and slowly, you know, I'm just a, a dry shell of a man hoping that I don't stumble and people realize just how exhausted and spiritually emaciated I really am. And I just 
this morning, I want us to consider the ways in which we may be doing things by our own strength. And, and the question then that begs the question, okay, so how do we protect ourselves from getting to that point where we're serving out of the dregs rather than the overflow? Well, when I was doing my ocean swims, I found that the only thing that worked to keep me going straight is as much as my, my thought was, I just need to try harder, I just need to swim harder, and that will get me where I'm going. Yeah, that got me either out to sea or into the beach. I needed to stop from time to time. I needed to slow down. Sometimes faster and harder is not always better. And, and I needed to identify a fixed point. For me, it was usually the pier because the pier doesn't move. I do, but the pier doesn't. And I had to have that fixed point. That was my target. And from time to time, I'd take a few strokes and, then I, and w- instead of breathing to the side, I would have to lift my head up and it felt like I was slowing down. It's not the most efficient way to swim, but I would identify where the pier was and then I would reorient myself around that true north. And in so doing, I actually started swimming straighter. And in our lives, we need to find that true north. We need, to try, we need to find that fixed point that says, this is what I am striving towards. And then orient your life around it. Lighthouse, we are a church that today are declaring that Jesus Christ is our, our true north. We as a church, from the very beginning, have said this is what we're about, but we are reiterating it today. This is what we are about. Jesus Christ. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is our shepherd. He is the head of this church. Not Lee. Not myself. Not the elder board. And we will bear fruit only as much as we allow him to be the guide and the lifeblood of this church. I will confess that I am not a perfect follower of Jesus Christ. I stumble and fall just as Lee does and just as all of us do. This is not something here where I'm trying to stand up here and try to make you feel bad. You just have to try harder. That's actually the antithesis of what I'm saying. The point is not trying harder. That's moralism. That's trying to climb a ladder. The cross is the reminder that Jesus never expected us or God never expected us to climb a ladder to try harder. The law was put in place to remind us of our inability to be righteous on our own strength so that we would be driven into the arms of our Savior, driven back to God, because He alone can make us righteous. Now, the point this morning is, God, is we need to be intentional, just as intentional as we are about cultivating relationship with one another through name tags, through time to connect and talk, through meals together, Through small groups, we need to be intentional about cultivating our relationship with Jesus so that we don't simply learn more about him. We actually meet and encounter him. I'll be the first to say, as a pastor, we cannot conjure Jesus. We can't make him show up by our own strength. But Jesus, we invite you here. And my prayer for this year, my prayer for this church is that he would be our shepherd and that we would learn to recognize his voice and follow him regardless of where he leads. And so I'm going to close this morning. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend more time talking about what this looks like as a church. And then on the 26th, we're going to become much more explicit about what 
our, our specific focus for this year is each year we have a different focus that we're going to really kind of orient ourselves around. And this year we've got one that I'm really excited about, but we'll talk more about that on the 26th. But for this morning, I just want to end um, with a time of confession. I, these are things that I have written as, as just recognizing in myself, but I suspect that a lot of us probably are going to, this is going to res- resonate for a lot of us. So I want to invite you to bow your heads with me, and I'm going to prayerfully read through these confessions. And if what I'm reading resonates with you, then I invite you to simply just go, yeah, me too. So let's pray. Jesus, I'm sorry for the ways that I've placed serving you before knowing and walking with you. I want to know you, not just more about you. And Father, I'm sorry for the ways that I've exchanged busyness for prayer, for the ways that I've allowed it to become my spare tire rather than my steering wheel. Lord God, I'm sorry for my self-sufficiency and for my lack of trust in your direction, for the ways that I've leaned on my own wisdom rather than leaned in on you. Holy Spirit, I'm sorry for the ways that I've resisted your still, quiet voice and done what I wanted to do. I'm sorry for the ways that I've grieved you with my actions and my stubbornness. I'm sorry for the ways that I've placed myself on the throne of my life and shove you to the periphery. God, I want you on the throne of my life. We want you at the helm of this church. And I recognize that I can accomplish nothing of any lasting value apart from you. <laughs> and I'm sorry for testing that fact over and over again. We as a church, we as a community, as, an, as a family of Christ followers, we need you And we ask you to take control of this church family. Guide us. Direct us. Give us discernment to recognize where you're already working. And show us how we can join you in that. Have your way with us. And glorify yourself through us. We are yours. Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Thank you.